Chapter forty one, part five of Supplements to the Fourth Book From the World as Will and Idea, Volume three by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter forty one On Death and Its Relation to the Indestructibility of Our True Nature. Part five whoever conceives his existence as merely accidental must certainly fear that he will lose it by death on the other hand whoever sees even only in general that his existence rests upon some kind of original necessity will not believe that this which has produced so wonderful a thing is limited to such a brief span of time but that it is active in every one but he will recognize his existence as necessary who reflects that up till now when he exists already an infinite time thus also an infinity of changes has run its course but in spite of this he yet exists thus the whole range of all possible states has already exhausted itself without being able to destroy his existence if he could never not be he would already not be now for the infinity of the time that has already elapsed with the exhausted possibility of the events in it guarantees that what exists exists necessarily therefore every one must conceive himself as a necessary being that is as a being whose existence would follow from its true and exhaustive definition if one only had it in this line of thought then really lies the only imminent proof of the imperishableness of our nature that is the only proof of this that holds good within the sphere of empirical data in this nature existence must inherit because it shows itself as independent of all states which can possibly be introduced through the chain of causes for these states have already done what they could and yet our existence has remained unshaken by it as the ray of light by the storm wind which it cuts through if time of its own resources could bring us to a happy state then we would already have been there long ago for an infinite time lies behind us but also if it could lead us to destruction we would already have long been no more from the fact that we now exist it follows if well considered that we must at all times exist for we are ourselves the nature which time has taken up into itself in order to fill its void consequently it fills the whole of time present past and future in the same way and it is just as impossible for us to fall out of existence as to fall out of space carefully considered it is inconceivable that what once exists in all the strength of reality should ever become nothing and then not be through an infinite time hence has arisen the christian doctrine of the restoration of all things that of the hindus of the constantly repeated creation of the world by brahma together with similar dogmas of the greek philosophers the great mystery of our being and not being to explain which these and all kindred dogmas have been devised ultimately rests upon the fact that the same thing which objectively constitutes an infinite course of time is subjectively an indivisible ever-present present but who comprehends it it has been most distinctly set forth by kant in his immortal doctrine of the ideality of time and the sole reality of the thing in itself for it results from this that the really essential part of things of man of the world 
lies permanently and enduringly in the nunc stans firm and immovable and that the change of the phenomena and events is a mere consequence of our apprehension of them by means of our form of perception which is time accordingly instead of saying to men ye have arisen through birth but are immortal one ought to say to them ye are not nothing and teach them to understand this in the sense of the saying attributed to hermes trismegistus togar on ae estai that is quod enim est erit semper if however this does not succeed but the anxious heart raises its old lament i see all beings arise through birth out of nothing and after a brief term again return to this my existence also now in the present will soon lie in the distant past and i will be nothing the right answer is dost thou not exist hast thou not within thee the valuable present after which ye children of time so eagerly strive now within actually within and dost thou understand how thou hast attained to it knowest thou the paths which have led thee to it that thou canst know they will be shut against thee by death an existence of thyself after the destruction of thy body is not conceivable by thee as possible but can it be more inconceivable to thee than thy present existence and how thou hast attained to it why shouldst thou doubt but that the secret paths to this present which stood open to thee will also stand open to every future present if then considerations of this kind are at any rate adapted to awaken the conviction that there is something in us which death cannot destroy this yet only takes place by raising us to a point of view from which birth is not the only beginning of our existence but from this it follows that what is proved to be indestructible by death is not properly the individual which moreover as having arisen through generation and having in itself the qualities of the father and mother presents itself as a mere difference of the species but as such can only be finite as in accordance with this the individual has no recollection of its existence before its birth so it can have no remembrance of its present existence after death but every one places his ego in consciousness this seems to him therefore to be bound to individuality with which besides everything disappears which is peculiar to him as to this and distinguishes him from others his continued existence without individuality becomes to him therefore indistinguishable from the continuance of other beings and he sees his ego sink but whoever thus links his existence to the identity of consciousness and therefore desires an endless existence after death for this ought to reflect that he can certainly only attain this at the price of just as endless a past before birth for since he has no remembrance of an existence before birth thus his consciousness begins with birth he must accept his birth as an origination of his existence out of nothing but then he purchases the endless time of his existence after death for just as long a time before birth thus the account balances without any profit for him if on the other hand the existence which death leaves untouched is different from that of the individual consciousness then it must be independent of birth just as of death and therefore with regard to it it must be equally true to say i will always be and i have always been which then gives two infinities for one but the great equivocation really lies in the word i 
as any one will see at once who remembers the contents of our second book and the separation which is made there of the willing from the knowing part of our nature according as i understand this word i can say death is my complete end or this my personal phenomenal existence is just as infinitely small a part of my true nature as i am of the world but the eye is the dark point in consciousness as on the retina the exact point at which the nerve of sight enters is blind as the brain itself is entirely without sensation the body of the sun is dark and the eye sees all except itself our faculty of knowledge is directed entirely towards without in accordance with the fact that it is the product of a brain function which has arisen for the purpose of mere self-maintenance thus of the search for nourishment and the capture of prey therefore every one knows himself only as this individual as it presents itself in external perception if on the other hand he could bring to consciousness what he is besides and beyond this then he would willingly give up his individuality smile at the tenacity of his attachment to it and say what is the loss of this individuality to me who bear in myself the possibility of innumerable individualities he would see that even if a continued existence of his individuality does not lie before him it is yet quite as good as if he had such an existence because he carries in himself complete compensation for it besides however it may further be taken into consideration that the individuality of most men is so miserable and worthless that with it they truly lose nothing and that that in them which may still have some worth is the universal human element but to this imperishableness can be promised indeed even the rigid unalterableness and essential limitation of every individual would in the case of an endless duration of it necessarily at last produce such great weariness by its monotony that only to be relieved of this one would prefer to become nothing to desire that the individuality should be immortal really means to wish to perpetuate an error infinitely for at bottom every individuality is really only a special error a false step something that had better not be nay something which it is the real end of life to bring us back from this also finds confirmation in the fact that the great majority indeed really all men are so constituted that they could not be happy in whatever kind of world they might be placed in proportion as such a world excluded want and hardship they would become a prey to ennui and in proportion as this was prevented they would fall into want misery and suffering thus for a blessed condition of man it would be by no means sufficient that he should be transferred to a better world but it would also be necessary that a complete change should take place in himself that thus he should no longer be what he is and on the contrary should become what he is not but for this he must first of all cease to be what he is this desideratum is as a preliminary supplied by death the moral necessity of which can already be seen from this point of view to be transferred to another world and to have his whole nature changed are at bottom one and the same upon this also ultimately rests that dependence of the objective upon the subjective which the idealism of our first book shows accordingly here lies the point at which the transcendent philosophy links itself on to ethics if one considers this one will find that the awaking from the dream of life 
is only possible through the disappearance along with it of its whole ground warp also but this is its organ itself the intellect together with its forms with which the dream would spin itself out without end so firmly is it incorporated with it that which really dreamt this dream is yet different from it and alone remains over on the other hand the fear that with death all will be over may be compared to the case of one who imagines in a dream that there are only dreams without a dreamer but now after an individual consciousness has once been ended by death would it even be desirable that it should be kindled again in order to continue for ever the greater part of its content nay generally its whole content is nothing but a stream of small earthly paltry thoughts and endless cares let them then at last be stilled therefore with a true instinct the ancients inscribed upon their gravestones securitati perpetuae or bonae quieti but if here as so often has happened a continued existence of the individual consciousness should be desired in order to connect with it a future reward or punishment what would really be aimed at in this would simply be the compatibility of virtue and egoism but these two will never embrace they are fundamentally opposed on the other hand the conviction is well founded which the sight of noble conduct calls forth that the spirit of love which enjoins one man to spare his enemy and another to protect at the risk of his life someone whom he has never seen before can never pass away and become nothing the most thorough answer to the question as to the continued existence of the individual after death lies in kant's great doctrine of the ideality of time which just here shows itself specially fruitful and rich in consequences for it substitutes a purely theoretical but well-proved insight for dogmas which upon one path as upon the other lead to the absurd and thus settles at once the most exciting of all metaphysical questions beginning ending and continuing are conceptions which derive their significance simply and solely from time and are therefore valid only under the presupposition of this but time has no absolute existence it is not the manner of being of the thing in itself but merely the form of our knowledge of our existence in nature and that of all things which is just on this account very imperfect and is limited to mere phenomena thus with reference to this knowledge alone do the conceptions of ceasing and continuing find application not with reference to that which exhibits itself in these the inner being of things in relation to which these conceptions have therefore no longer any meaning for this shows itself also in the fact that an answer to the question which arises from those time conceptions is impossible and every assertion of such an answer whether upon one side or the other is open to convincing objections one might indeed assert that our true being continues after death because it is false that it is destroyed but one might just as well assert that it is destroyed because it is false that it continues at bottom the one is as true as the other accordingly something like an antinomy might certainly be set up here but it would rest upon mere negations in it one would deny two contradictorily opposite predicates of the subject of the judgment but only because the whole category of these predicates would be inapplicable to that subject but if now one denies these two predicates not together but separately 
it appears as if the contradictory opposite of the predicate which in each case is denied were proved of the subject of the judgment this however depends upon the fact that here incommensurable quantities are compared for the problem removes us to a scene where time is abolished and yet asks about temporal properties which it is consequently equally false to attribute to or to deny of the subject this just means the problem is transcendent in this sense death remains a mystery on the other hand adhering to that distinction between phenomenon and thing in itself we can make the assertion that as phenomenon man is certainly perishable but yet his true being will not be involved in this thus this true being is indestructible although on account of the elimination of time conceptions which is connected with it we cannot attribute to it continuance accordingly we would be led here to the conception of an indestructibility which would yet be no continuance now this is a conception which having been obtained on the path of abstraction can certainly also be thought in the abstract but yet cannot be supported by any perception and consequently cannot really become distinct yet on the other hand we must here keep in mind that we have not like kant absolutely given up the knowledge of the thing in itself but know that it is to be sought for in the will it is true that we have never asserted an absolute and exhaustive knowledge of the thing in itself but rather have seen very well that it is impossible to know anything as it is absolutely and in itself for as soon as i know i have an idea but this idea just because it is my idea cannot be identical with what is known but repeats it in an entirely different form for it makes a being for other out of a being for self and is thus always to be regarded as a phenomenal appearance of the thing in itself therefore for a knowing consciousness however it may be constituted there can be always only phenomena this is not entirely obviated even by the fact that it is my own nature which is known for since it falls within my knowing consciousness it is already a reflex of my nature something different from this itself thus already in a certain degree phenomenon so far then as i am a knowing being i have even in my own nature really only a phenomenon so far on the other hand as i am directly this nature itself i am not a knowing being for it is sufficiently proved in the second book that knowledge is only a secondary property of our being and introduced by its animal nature strictly speaking then we know even our own will always merely as phenomenon and not as it may be absolutely in and for itself but in that second book and also in my work upon the will in nature it is fully explained and proved that if in order to penetrate into the inner nature of things leaving what is given merely indirectly and from without we stick to the only phenomenon into the nature of which an immediate insight from within is attainable we find in this quite definitely as the ultimate kernel of reality the will in which therefore we recognize the thing in itself in so far as it has here no longer space although it still has time for its form consequently really only in its most immediate manifestation and with the reservation that this knowledge of it is still not exhaustive and entirely adequate thus in this sense we retain here also the conception of will as that of the thing in itself end of chapter forty one part six
Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.